Have you guys ever had a uh, piece of clothing that you just really loved, right? Like you like to wear it all the time. Maybe it's a pair of shoes or something like that. It just makes you feel comfortable, makes you uh, feel right. It works every time. There's never any fuss, right? For me, it was a pair of khaki pants that I used to own. Uh, why I don't own them anymore, we'll get there in a second. I... If you saw me preaching in 2021, there was like a 98% chance I was wearing this pair of khakis right here. I, this, these are screenshots spread over the course of eight months last winter, or uh, eight Sundays over the course of a few months last winter, each time wearing the same khaki pants. I, I love these pants. Amber makes fun of She's like, why don't you wear anything else? I was like, I don't need to. This works just fine. No fuss. It just works. So, this morning I'm going to tell you the story of how I came to no longer own those pants. How they bit the dust. Uh, But this may be the first time ever I have an illustrated book to help me tell the story. Uh, Thanks to Ellie Hardy, uh, I present to you Josiah's Pants Ripped. (laughs) So, here is how the story goes. So, uh, as you can see here, Josiah was showing everyone at church the Chosen video when he bent down to check his camera. So, we were watching the Chosen. This was Sunday school. Uh, Earlier this year, we were were watching the Chosen. And I was setting up the sound equipment for the live stream. It was was over there at the time. And um, I bent down to grab a fresh battery to put in the camera. And I heard, shh. And all of a sudden, my pants were a little looser fit than they were just a second earlier. Or in Ellie's words, he ripped his pants! <laughs> and it was not a small tear, tear either. Although, an uh, Ellie illustration, it makes it look like the end seam ripped all the way down both sides. In reality, it was about an eight inch rip that like, it was a pretty substantial rip in my pants along the inside of my leg. And I had worn the pants so much, and I had washed them so many times that the fabric had gotten very thin along the inside of my leg. I had not noticed until it was too late. So there I was, standing in the middle of church with a giant hole in my pants. And the story goes on. So no one noticed, thankfully. So he grabbed Amber and said he ripped his pants. So you, well, you guys, luckily, it was dark in here. You guys were watching The Chosen. You're all distracted. So I quietly and calmly, as to not arouse suspicion, got Amber's attention. I brought her to the back of the sanctuary, right where CJ normally sits running slides. And I explained to her my situation, which she tried to hold in her laughter so as to not draw attention. And I also explained to her, like, this is where you need to stop the Chosen. There was, like, ten minutes left in the episode. I was like, this, this is where you need to stop it. This is what you need to do. I'm, I'm going to go home and change my pants. <laughs> so, here we go. Here's what happened next. He went home to change his pants. He went home to change them. That's exactly what I did. As, I, uh, as you can notice, my house is Cane Casa. Um, 
And when I got there, Obi was like, you're home. That's what he said to me. Um, he didn't actually say that, but he was excited. And so I rushed in the front door. I like tore up the driveway. I rushed in the front door, and Nene was sitting on the couch uh, drinking his morning coffee. So I had to explain him the reason I was home at this odd time. Uh, it's a bit, it was a bit awkward to explain the situation to him, but that's okay because he's awkward. Um, <laughs> so it wasn't a big deal. The story goes on. So they were his fave pants, which they were. Maybe that's why he ripped I'm not sure why. I didn't do it on purpose, Ellie, but they were my favorite pants. But thankfully, Obi didn't care. Um, that's the nice thing about dogs, is they're very understanding in situations like this. Um, but I was able to get back to church on time. Uh, as Ellie depicts here, um, the next part of the story gets kind of embarrassing, though. So this is the last page of the book. Look at her face crunch up. <laughs> The last page, one year later, it wasn't quite a year, but it was like, like four months later. Um, Ellie, I told Ellie this story in confidence. We were at breakfast um, at McDonald's for Sunday school, and I was like, hey, Ellie, here's an embarrassing story about me. So the second we get back, uh, right after Sunday school, she yells, Josiah ripped his pants! And there are afterwards people started laughing at me and here she's depicting me face palming myself um, as she says that and that's the end of the story <laughs> uh, you guys may do any of you remember Ellie walking in on Sunday and saying Josiah ripped his pants I'm sure you guys were a little confused as to the circumstances yeah yeah it was a good Sunday the moral of the story is the moral of the story is if you want your embarrassing story to stay a secret don't tell Ellie right before you walk into church. <laughs> There's a good chance she's going to make an announcement to the entire congregation about it. However, if you want a book made of your embarrassing stories, I do know someone who is practiced in making little booklets of your embarrassing stories. Um, I think six pages might be the max, though. So. I guess you could add more. If you want your embarrassing story recorded, go talk to Ellie. She'll make a book for you. So we've all done things, right? We've, we've all done things that are embarrassing that we would rather not have everyone know. Ripping your pants may be one of those examples. Um, fortunately, that wasn't really that big of a deal. Obviously, I, I'm here telling you this morning. Um, and that, I'm telling the entire internet this story, like, every, like it's public knowledge now for the rest of time until Facebook servers get destroyed in a fire or something. But it's there forever. And Ellie announced it to the whole church, and I didn't die right then either. But what if your secret was something a little more serious? Maybe it was past the point of embarrassing, but to the point of like something that's sinful or wrong. Like something that you did that was really wrong. That's not the kind of thing you just want shared, right? You don't want that <coughs> yelled to church. So this morning I've got some bad news for you. God already knows. <laughs> He's seen all the most nasty, deceptive, sinful, wicked, hidden things you've already done. To God, nothing is invisible. Which leads us to 
the passage today, when I was thinking about Ellie's uh, booklet that she made me, I keep it in my, my Bible case, so I see it all the time. I, it reminded me of this passage, um, this, these words spoken by the Lord Jesus, that warns us about the hidden things in our lives. And so I wanted to take a look at this this morning in Luke chapter 12. If you would go ahead and turn there with me. So Luke chapter 12 comes after Luke chapter 11, obviously. But it's kind of important to the start of the chapter here. So in in Luke chapter 11, uh, Jesus has just finished reprimanding the Pharisees and some lawyers. um, And he brought them some pretty significant charges against him. About their hypocrisy, mostly, and their messed up religious practices. And so he has this really heated um, chapter where he's just really laying into these Pharisees. And because what he said was so controversial, it starts to gather a large crowd, which is where Luke chapter 12 starts. Look at verse 1. Under these circumstances, under the circumstances of Jesus saying these things, so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on each other. He began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So leaven, which is yeast, it's this um, bacteria, very common analogy in sin to sin in the Bible. As useful as an analogy because like yeast, a little bit of sin can spread and multiply and it can, it can move quickly through the whole batch of bread. Right? So particularly, the, the sin that Jesus is calling out here is the hypocrisy. And the Greek word for hypocrisy is actually most commonly used in reference to actors. People who played parts on a stage in a theater. People who performed. And this kind of paints a little bit of a different picture than maybe what we think of in our head. When, when we think of hypocrisy... We might think of like a one-off incident, right? Like someone says, oh, I'm going to do this, or you should do this, and then they go and do the opposite, right? It's probably just like this one-off thing, maybe just one characteristic about this person that's hypocritical. But what Jesus is saying is that, (coughs) excuse me, is that hypocrisy is actually more about just concealing your true self. It's about not showing people what's really in your heart. It's one thing to do one thing that's hypocritical. But what Jesus says is that you are a hypocrite. Right? You are an actor living a different way. And of course, when we use contradictory words and things like that, that those, those are the actions of hypocrites. But what really is, the truth is that that hypocrisy is just an outpouring of what's really within us, which is kind of uncomfortable to think about. There is nothing that we do that is disconnected from who we are. Does that make sense? That it's not just one thing you do that's hypocritical. The hypocrisy comes from somewhere. And so Jesus goes on to use this idea of hiding one's true self as like an actor playing a part. And he kind of pulls that up. And expounds on that idea in the next couple of verses. Look at verse 2 with me. Beware there is nothing, or excuse me, but there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. <coughs> Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, 
And whatever you have whispered in your inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. Do those verses make you uncomfortable? Doesn't, doesn't that just make you a little uncomfortable to read? To God, the most hidden parts of our lives are seen. Even beyond just the confines of what we say and do in our innermost rooms, but even to the contents of our hearts and minds. It is as obvious to him as Ellie walking in here on Sunday morning and yelling, Josiah ripped his pants. It's that obvious to God what we do and what's inside of us. To everyone else it may be hidden, no one knows, but to God it is in the light. And at the end of days, what we do and say in our hearts, our minds, and our inner rooms is going to be made known. Paul expounds on this point for us in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. So he's talking about the end of days, the judgment. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. There is nothing invisible to God. As much as we would like the parts of our lives to be undisclosed, we can't hide them. When judgment comes, all our careless words, all our motives, all of our thoughts, they're going to be accounted for. Luckily, with Jesus, there is grace to cover those things by a sacrifice, our shortcomings, but that does not remove us from facing this teaching head on this morning. Right, so we're going to keep reading a little bit more in Luke. If we don't confront our unseen sin in our lives, as Jesus is saying here, we're just going to keep being after. Let's keep reading, though, and let's see what he says. Look at verse 4. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and have after no more they can do. But I will warn you whom you to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has the authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I say, fear him. So when I read this passage all the way through for the first time, there seemed like a weird transition between verse 3, where he's talking about how everything in the inner rooms is going to be proclaimed on the housetops, and then verse 4, where he's saying, don't fear those who can kill the body, but fear God, who can destroy you entirely. I was like, why did he make that? Where is the transition? How is that connected? It makes sense, though, when we realize that it points to what Jesus is doing here. is pointing to the motives behind why we may live hypocritical lives. If our goal is to please other people, if our goal is to live for this life, then it makes perfect sense for us to be actors, for us to hide what's actually going in our heart going on inside of us in our hearts to put on our best face to pretend like we don't have problems to move along in a merry way to for things to be good right but if we do this then we aren't confronting our true selves we aren't confronting the sin in our lives and that makes us liars and jesus says that if we do that then we are going to be in the hands of this wrathful god he is the one that we should be fearing. So instead of living this life to please people, what we should be doing 
is fearing God. We should be living to honor him, living uh, for the guy who can reverse death at the command of his word, right? So he's saying to God, death is nothing. You need to worry about what he can do to you, not what people can do to you. Not that you should run about being afraid of God, but you should respect and honor him. And there is some fear that you should have for the creator of the universe. So rather than living this concealed life um, that may bring favor from men, we should ultimately try to live a life that is pleasing to God. Make him our priority. So up to this point, God's perfect knowledge of us kind of seems a little troubling. may seem a little scary, but uh, Jesus pivots here in verse 6 and 7. And he shows us that maybe God knowing everything isn't all that bad. Look at verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Love what Jesus just said there for a second. Sink in. Not one sparrow is forgotten by God. Not one. Just as kind of a fun thought experiment. In Jesus' day, the estimated population of the world was 300 million, which is about the U.S. population right now. And if sparrow populations are relatively unchanged from now to then, there are about 2 billion sparrows, which means in Jesus' day, there was a 7 to 1 sparrow to people ratio. <laughs> I, useless knowledge, I know, but interesting given the, uh, the context here. And it's kind of important to know as well that sparrows were essentially the pizza rolls of Jesus' day, okay? So these were cheap, lowest-end meat that you could buy. They would buy many of them at a time. They would put them on a kebab, roast them up, and eat them like pizza rolls, okay? (laughs) These sparrows were the lowest-end meat you could buy. They were the least valuable animals that anybody could buy. And even these small, insignificant animals, traded for mere pennies, aren't forgotten by God. And how much more valuable are you? The fact that the creator of the universe has every detail about you known, all the way down to the number of hairs on your head. For some people, that's a little easier. As you get older, Rick... Um, it gets a little easier to count the hairs, right? So we have less work for God, right? And me too, I'm not far behind. My dad lost a lot of his hair by the time he was 35. So I don't know what I have to look forward to, but we'll see. I'm going to let tomorrow's problems be tomorrow's problems. Every single detail of us, from the hairs on our head to all the disgusting parts of our lives, all of it, God knows, and yet he cares for us. He cares for us. He loves us. He wants good for us. And that also means we're never forgotten. We are never alone. We are never abandoned. We're never neglected. God always sees us, the true us. And there is a way that we can disappoint God. 
He sees everything we do, and there's a way that we can fail him. We can be actors. We can be hypocrites. We can live in a way that doesn't please him. But there is also a way that he can look at us and say, yeah, that's good. There's a way we can please him. That's exactly what Jesus says in verse 8 here of Luke 12. And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. If you want to please God, if you want good things to be made known about you, confess Jesus before other people. Instead of trying to be uh, an actor, an hypocrite, putting on this false front to the people around you, look, look to Jesus. Share him. Speak about the good things, the gospel. And on judgment day, instead of your sins being blasted out from the rooftops, guess what? Jesus himself is going to stand in front of God and all the angels and say, this guy right here did what I asked him to. And that's the kind of thing I want said (laughs) on judgment day. I want Jesus to be on my side saying, you know what? This guy right here did exactly what I asked him to. He was not ashamed of me. He talked about me. He told people about me. So, make sure when the time comes that Jesus is mentioning you to God. After we've read this section here, I just want to wrap up a few things that I want us to take with us this week. Some things that we just need to really concrete in our heads. Number one, God sees it all. I know there's a lot of us who like our privacy. I'm one of those. I, uh, for the most part, have it, right? A lot of my life is hidden. I have a lot of privacy. We feel pretty anonymous. We go to the stores. We drive around in our cars. We eat at restaurants. And no one knows who we are. No one knows. And no one cares to know, really, (laughs) who we are or what we do. We have pretty private lives. But we do not have that with God. Our lives to him are completely transparent. Completely, completely transparent. The good, the bad, and the ugly. If you're a Clint Eastwood fan, it's a good movie. And it applies here too. The good, the bad, and the ugly. All of it, God sees. This means that we can't hide our sin from him. And it also means we're never alone. Given this fact, we should live in a way that doesn't merely just look good on the appearance of things, but rather live in a way that actually pleases God, which is the second main point. Don't play a Christian, be a Christian. If you're putting on a front of Christianity while hiding away your sin on the side, you're being a hypocrite. That's what it means to live in a way that's not truly what's inside of you. Are we not dead to our sins? Are we not freed from the slavery of sin in our lives, then why do we give sin refuge? Why do we feed it? Why do we take care of it? Why do we love it? It's better to be exposed now, to expose that sin and repentance now, than on the last day when it's too late to change it. Because it will be exposed. And remember, remember we studied this last week, 
in our fight against idols. God is here to help fight us, uh, fight with us against sin in our lives. We don't have to be afraid to confess our sins to God. We don't have to be afraid to confront them because he already knows about them. Right? It's not like you're telling him something he, ha- he doesn't already know. Don't play a Christian, be a Christian. Last thing here. Live with the future in mind. I think one of the largest teachings from this passage in Luke chapter 12 is that we're to be future-minded people. This means realizing that our current decisions, our words, and our thoughts, and how they play out in the long run. It's, it's seeing the big picture of what we do. What we do, what we say, what we think, that it isn't meaningless. It's not without consequence. Everything we say and do is remembered. That means we should pay special attention to bring honor to God in what we say and do and think. Today's message is this, really. Simply put, it is a call to purity and consistency, right? I, uh, I have preached a lot of sermons and I've read a lot of the Gospels, and what Jesus over and over and over again keeps trying to tell us is that we should just live to be pure, we should be consistent in how we walk, let our yeses be yeses and our noes be noes. Let us not put on these false fronts. Let's just be honest people who love God. Right? And the reason to keep saying it over and over again is because we need that constant reminder to do that over and over and over again. So that's it. It's that simple. Be consistent. Be pure. And love God. Please pray with me this morning. God, I thank you for the opportunity that we can have to come and uh, read your word and listen to the words of your son. I just pray that you give us the ability to live honestly and boldly and proclaim your son to all so that when the day comes, we can stand proudly knowing that we did exactly what you wanted us to. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.